0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle formation of the near side, J.D. split out left. They look left, back to throw is Adrian. He could step up and he's going to try to run for the pylon. He's to the five, he lays out, he's in! That's a two-point play for Nebraska, and they tied this game in champagne at 35 apiece. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are, Friday night edition of Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you enjoyed your short work week, right? Just four days and you're into another weekend. Weather's supposed to be better. We'll see some sunshine. Kind of forgot what it's looked like here the last several days. Some of you may be headed out to some high school football games. Most of the rain, I think, has exited the state, so you ought to be dry conditions to watch high school football tonight. have fun if you're heading out there tonight Probably need a light jacket. Well, you're gonna need a light jacket. It's only in the 50s throughout most of the state so uh, enjoy yourself if you're heading out to a game tonight. All right here's what we have on the program tonight. We do start our series of greatest games. We're starting we're gonna go through the 1994 season beginning tomorrow and so we start with the West Virginia game the kickoff classic that was in late August. One o'clock for our airtime, we'll have about a 35, 40-minute pregame show, which will include a Cornhusker conversation with former Husker Jason Peter. We're going to hear clips of that a little bit later on here in this hour. We'll hear the, uh, as it was, Tom Osborne pregame show. We'll hear the game. We'll have some halftime. Uh, highlights, scores from around the country for tomorrow. We'll also hear from University President Ted Carter at halftime tomorrow, and then a postgame show with recap of the highlights of the West Virginia game, even open up some phone lines. If you want to reminisce about that 94 season or that game with West Virginia, we'll give you that opportunity tomorrow. All gets going at 1 o'clock here on the Husker Sports Network on many of these fine Husker Sports Network stations. So, Jason, Peter, a little bit of the Cornhusker conversation coming up here in a few minutes. Then an hour or two. We're going to go pick, we usually do on Friday nights in the fall, our Big Ten picks. Obviously, the Big Ten's not playing, but we do have college football. So we're going to do a top 25 pick segment. We'll have that for you there. I think there are six top 25 teams in action tomorrow. We'll pick how we think those games are going to go. We'll then have our first conversation of the fall with Ian Rapoport of the NFL Network. I don't remember, this is either year seven or eight. That we've had Ian be our regular contributor to uh, talk National Football League, which began their season last night in Kansas City with the Chiefs beating the Texans thirty-four to twenty. A late field goal that apparently made a lot of betters happy. Is that was that right? Is that the case? The over/under number, the Chiefs' late field goal shoved the total over. So I uh, don't. We'll see. I'm sure Ian won't touch that, but he'll talk on a lot of things as the NFL gets ready for its first full weekend of action on Sunday. Uh, following the Thursday night opener last night with the Chiefs and Texas. Looking forward to having Ian with us again each and every Friday during the fall and into the winter months as the NFL playoffs get cranked up. Our third hour, we'll have our weekend preview. Ben will lay out all the things that are happening in the sports world that you may want to keep an eye on over the next couple of days. We'll have our weekend review on our winners and losers of the week. So a full show for you here tonight. And as always, phone lines are open and available to you, 531 500 4686. That also doubles as our U.S. cellular text line. U.S. cellular, the official wireless provider of Husker Athletics. Tim mentioned this in the open, and there's a story up on ESPN.com from our good friend Adam Rittenberg that the Big Ten Medical Subcommittee will present new testing programs tomorrow. Tomorrow to a subcommittee of conference presidents and chancellors, outlining options that weren't available when the Big Ten postponed the 2020 season on August the 10th. This is sources telling ESPN this. The Big Ten subcommittee, which is comprised of medical experts and athletic directors, will put on a presentation for eight of the 14 presidents and chancellors. Don't know which eight. But eight. So just over half of the presidents and chancellors will hear this presentation tomorrow. They will learn about the four, at least four rapid response tests that are now on the market that will allow teams to test daily and significantly decrease the amount of necessary contact tracing. We mentioned yesterday on the program that Nebraska has purchased their own machine that they're going to put over the NAPL in the East Stadium. Uh, For Nebraska to start using here in a couple of weeks, Um, this committee will outline what is now available on the market, Uh, as one conference source told ESPN. "Quote: It's light years different than it was five weeks ago." Good news, right? I mean, some things have some medical steps have certainly taken place since that August 10th cancellation of the season. Continuing on with the piece, if the subcommittee of presidents and chancellors approves this report, it can call a full board meeting for what would be a second presentation before a vote. But here's the big thing. It's also possible that both groups have more questions and send the ADs and medical experts back to work. A second Big Ten source said, quote, when I think I have an answer, the next day there's a whole different discussion. That's why it's been so hard And everyone's so frustrated. You've got 14 guys, and everyone wants best for them. That's where you need someone to stand up and say, no, this is what we're going to do. Isn't that the role of the commissioner? Maybe, maybe, I I don't know. If the presidents and chancellors give the green light to return to play, the earliest realistic scenario is still at least a month away. The first source said, which would mean mid to late October, it would still depend on how quickly The presidents and chancellors approve the return along with the uh, with which the test the conference chooses to go with and how quickly they can get their supplies. Nebraska, again, ahead of the game here. They've already made their own arrangements. They've already got the wheels in motion. Most of the schools in the league don't haven't done haven't taken that step. Uh, The second source said, quote again, in this story on ESPN.com, someone's got to be strong and make a decision, put a nail in it, put a pin in this thing, and let's go. The Big Ten again announced back on the 10th of August that they were uh, postponing the season. Now, the story that Adam was working on also weaves in some comments from the Pac-12. They have been, according to this report, in daily communication with the Big Ten. But the Pac-12's timeline remains dependent on several factors, including government approval to return to campuses in the states of California and Oregon. Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott has said he has spoken to Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren with the hopes that they could align their return so that they could point toward a postseason championship matchup between their two league titleists. In other words, a Rose Bowl. In like March, whether we could start in late November or early December, we'll have to figure that out, said Larry Scott. It's got something to do with our public health authorities in California and Oregon saying that it's okay and giving it their blessing. My gut tells me the Pac-12 is not going to be ready for late October football, so then the Big Ten needs to decide do we want to try to quickly get this thing going and join the rest of the country and try to be a part of the college football playoff or do we just want to slow her down and join our little brothers, the Pac-12, in late November or early December? That that's where I think we are at with this thing right now. Now the other thing that Tim had that came out today, he had this in the ticker as well, is that the office of the Nebraska Attorney General today issued a letter to the Big Ten, notifying the conference that they don't that they appear to be out of compliance with the Nebraska Nonprofit Corporation Act. The AG's office is responsible for overseeing compliance with the act by nonprofit organizations operating in Nebraska. They have instructed conference officials to provide documents and records to determine if they have operated in compliance with Nebraska law and their own governing documents. Quote, in order to receive the advantages to operate as a nonprofit in the state of Nebraska, it is imperative that the organization operate with complete transparency regarding its decision-making process. Nebraskans expect transparency from nonprofits operating in this state, and the Big Ten Conference would be no exception. That's from the Nebraska Attorney General Doug Peterson. So here again, the University of Nebraska calling on all, all their allies And in this case, the state of Nebraska to try to argue a case for them. So now the Big Ten is dealing with two things out of the state of Nebraska. You still have the eight players who have filed a lawsuit against the league. And by the way, the league has until tomorrow to file some papers in court. They had until the 12th. That's tomorrow. And now you have the Nebraska Attorney General turning the light on the Big Ten conference, putting pressure from this nonprofit organization angle. I don't know how much legs this has. I don't know how much this is posturing. But what it does do is it keeps the heat on the Big Ten. It keeps the pressure on the Big Ten to make a decision moving forward. But, again, I don't know that any of this is going to matter. Tim, I I want your thoughts about what now ESPN is reporting about this meeting taking place tomorrow with eight of the 14 presidents in place, this seems at least like it's a step in the right direction. That they at least are going to get a medical update on what's changed in the last five weeks. Right, and I think it goes back to what we've brought up on this show the whole
1: time: is that you know if there is a group, even if it's not every single school in the Big Ten, but a significant majority, eight of the fourteen, that want to forge forward and find a way to safely play, why not let them? And in fact, you know, it just it's it gets a little bit of a head scratcher because you you think to yourself couldn't this conversation have really been happening or should have been happening back in the summer? And I'm sure there were some preliminary talk, but it just seems like you know these presidents and chancellors have been sitting on their hands and then it comes to, to finally here in September where you you now have this push and lawsuits and the Big Ten finally says, oh boy, we better figure something out here because we're getting some pretty serious heat uh, which you would have assumed they, they would have factored into the equation <laughs> if, in their decision to postpone, but apparently they didn't. So... It just goes to show that there is a way, I believe, and I think the other conferences and schools that are playing right now are, are showing, there is a way to play football safely when you have protocols in place. And as Nebraska has just acquired some other schools, I know the Big 12 schools are going after this too, That that rapid testing equipment, that's a total game changer. And so if you can get your hands on that, what is preventing these schools from going ahead and playing? And so I just think the Big Ten trying to hold out um, these president's chancellors who are sitting on their hands saying, "Ah, eh, we'll just keep on waiting, we'll just keep punting, we'll just kind of wait until the January, maybe maybe it, things look better, maybe the landscape's better. Uh, but if the schools are now saying, hey, we've acquired this equipment, we've been talking with our own experts, and, and our players and coaches believe that they can play this game safely – I don't know what's stopping them other than the Big Ten trying to strong arm everyone and into sitting out because they're scared of, I don't know, liability or TV contracts, whatever it is. It just seems to me, Greg, that they're being overly cautious. And a lot of this discussion and planning and proposals should have been handled ages ago. And it just seems kind of crazy to me that now in September that the ball seems to finally be rolling when this
0: could have been rolling back in April or June. How much pressure, if any, do you think these Big Ten presidents slash chancers are going to feel tomorrow with two of the five Power Five leagues kicking off football tomorrow?
1: Right. Well, I I think the whole gambit the entire time has just basically been the Big Ten and the Pac-12 as well wanting to cancel or postpone, as they say. And I think their assumption, quite frankly, was that the other Power Five conferences were going to fold like a house of cards after the Big Ten and Pac-12 pulled the plug. And then the Big Ten could turn around and say, well, look at us. We are on the forefront of all this, of, of us canceling or postponing or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and that hasn't happened. And you're right, Greg. You know, if, if, these, if these universities, these, these conferences pull this off, um, the AAC, the, the ACC, the Big 12, the SEC, and all the others that are playing, if they can pull this off safely... You you have to you have to wonder <laughs> what the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have been thinking this whole time, and it just seems to me that if you're trying to salvage some proposal or return to play right now, um, it, it does seem a little bit too little, too late for me. I know that we we obviously don't want to be in the position of getting people's hopes up um, when when we're talking about these return to play things. There's obviously some of the news is, is positive, but it, it, it just seems crazy to me. That you have all of these schools and schools with significantly fewer resources than the Big Ten even that are forging forward and playing and the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are sitting on the sideline. It's, it just seems strange to me that as a president or a chancellor of your university, and I know that's not the case at Nebraska or Iowa or Ohio State, or some of these other schools, but it just seems strange to me that you'd be willing to take that risk economically. Um, and, and the benefits that the students and athletes are, are losing out on uh, when these other schools are playing and, and, at least right now, have managed to play safely. It just seems strange to me.
0: The negative publicity that this conference has received over the last month has been an avalanche on top Mm -hmm. of the shoulders of the 14 teams in this league. It's just been unbelievable. And your point's well taken. Central Arkansas has played two games. UAB played Miami last night. That was their second game. So you have some of these really small schools who don't have near the budgets or the resources have already played a couple of games. And tomorrow you're going to have a good chunk of the ACC in action. I'm sure the Big Ten is smiling that three Big 12 games have been postponed tomorrow, Uh, the latest being the Baylor-Louisiana Tech that we talked about last night on the program with Baylor play-by-play man John Morris that got canceled on Tuesday. The Big Ten probably enjoys that, but the rest of the league is playing tomorrow. And then, I mean, if you're sitting there in Iowa City tomorrow, you're going to be hearing reports from about 90 miles away from Yen Ames, of the Cyclones playing Louisiana Lafayette tomorrow at 11 a.m. It is crazy stuff. We'll continue to follow it. I do think it's encouraging that the presidents and chancellors are gathering tomorrow. At least eight of them are gathering tomorrow to hear what this medical committee has to say to update them. And hopefully it gets through that and they get the full group together to hear this. Uh, maybe we do get some kind of a uh, resolution early next week. All right. When we come back, Ben McLaughlin's going to sit down with uh, his a part of his Cornhusker conversation for our pregame show tomorrow with Jason Peter, who was a terrific black shirt on that 94 championship team, along with his brother, Christian Peter. We'll have that conversation coming up next.
2: Sports Nightly Friday Night Edition here on the Husker Sports Network. Thanks to everybody for dialing us up, spending part of your Friday here with us coming up tomorrow, our first edition of Husker Sports Network's Greatest Games, 1994 edition, replaying the 1994 season beginning tomorrow with the kickoff classic and the West Virginia Mountaineers in East Rutherford, New Jersey, a hot day back in 1994. Well, one of the features that we will be premiering uh, tomorrow, we've had on our normal Husker game days, our Cornhusker conversation, where we sit down with a current member of, of the current Husker team. Well, this is throwback edition of the Cornhusker conversation each and every Saturday. We'll sit down with a member of the former Huskers in 1994. And what better way to start than with former black shirt, great Jason Peter. And here's a sneak peek What you can hear tomorrow. Ask Jason what the mood of the team was like after talking with some of his teammates over the years. Sounded like a lot of the motivation, a lot of the work ethic began to be in place uh, following that Florida State game, I asked him what the feeling of the team was heading into that game after everything that had happened to finish nineteen ninety three and the entire off season.
3: Yeah, uh, it really did start, um, you know, walking off the field there against uh, against Florida State, and for uh, I, I, I want to say from the moment I know that that we all got back. From um, you know the little bit of break that we had after the game, uh, I feel like there was that whole minute thirty six seconds that was put up on the scoreboard pretty immediately. I think as soon as uh, as we returned, and that was just kind of you know the whole uh, storyline and and uh, our motto, you know the whole unfinished business uh, sort of deal and and. Uh, we felt like we were the better team uh, against Florida State. We felt like we outplayed them. We, we felt like we did everything we were supposed to do, except uh, at the end of the the uh, regulation, at the end of time, you know, they had more points than us. Um, and there was a, a handful of, of, you know, questionable calls as well. And, you know, a funny story I ended up playing with William Floyd who was the fullback uh, uh, for Florida State he was uh, he was in Carolina with me for uh, a year or two and uh, you know you get to know these guys when they're your teammates and and uh, so I pulled him aside one time and I said uh, I said no it's just me and you you know tell me the truth he's like oh he goes, I, f- I fumbled that ball. he goes, uh, uh, <laughs> it was clear as day. He goes, that, that ball was out before I ever crossed the the, the goal line. And, uh, but, you know, that was uh, the the day and age that we kind of lived in back then. There wasn't really you know, instant replay. And, and uh, you didn't have, you know, 15 different camera angles like, like you do now. Um, and uh, we just kind of, you know, we lived with it. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it turned out to be a, a good thing. I think, uh, you know, there's no guarantee that if we win that game that we come back as motivated, um, you know, the, you just, you just never know. And I think, uh, it really just kind of, uh, like you had mentioned before, it really just kind of set the tone for the entire 1994 season. And, and, uh, it was uh, probably hey, um, I apologize. I got dogs here. That I guess it's getting close to feeding time, so they're all they're all barking. But yeah, um, you know, we just uh, we were just really highly highly motivated, and uh, every practice, every meeting, it was just constantly that thing that was hanging over our shoulder, and we never really kind of just took a day off, uh, so to speak. You know, that was a, a year uh, that. Uh, we were just – we were not going to be denied, I think, a chance at winning, you know, a national championship.
2: I, I co-host uh, Husker Game Day with one of your former teammates, Brendan Stuy, obviously on the other side of the ball every Saturday. Mm-hmm. And, and, and usually, inevitably, every every week, every other week, we end up talking about locker room dynamics with the current team. <laughs> and a lot of the things that we talk about, Jason, stemmed from from your era about locker yeah. room behavior uh, policing each other not having the coaches or to having to to watch over you how much of that was in place before the 94 season and how much of that 93 impact i guess is for lack of a better term i'm going to call it did that begin between those two seasons that kind of locker room culture when was that kind of put in place of all the responsibility following on the team
3: yeah, I think I think for sure in '94. Um, I think from a leadership point of view, I, I think it was um, it was certainly, I think, in place. I, I think it just continued to grow and grow. Um, Because, you know, I mean, there had been some really, really good teams at Nebraska prior to even, you know, 1993. I mean, there were a lot of teams that that kind of made it down to the the, the last game of the year and, and then just ultimately didn't have enough. But I think... I think for this group of guys and, you know, like you mentioned, I was a red shirt in 1993, but still, you know, you're, you're doing everything with the team. You're just not traveling. You're not playing in games, but you you get to witness things. And I think for, for the guys that were returning, I think it was an opportunity to, to, to look at 93, not only, you know, that we felt like we had won the game, but also that whatever Coach Osborne was, was preaching to us or, you know, X's and O's or whatever uh, Coach McBride was doing or Kevin Steele or, or Coach Tenniper, you know, whatever they're doing is right, you know, it's working. And, and when we go out and we execute and we do the things that they want us to do, we can beat anybody in the country because, you know, at the time, it was all about the Florida schools. And uh, so I think seeing that was big, um, but I just think then the leadership kind of, um, you know, got got taken up a notch and it was um, just this, you know, kind of like like I mentioned, this this refusal to to lose and and to not be denied. And you know, Nebraska was kind of like, um, you know, it was uh, there were a lot of people, especially the national guys, who would, would be like, oh yeah, you know, they kind of beat up on everybody on their on their schedule, and then they come and they got to play, you know, a team from from Florida or from California, a team that's got a lot of team speed. And they just can't hang they're just kind of these big big guys from Nebraska that ultimately get outclassed you know the last game of the year well I just think they at that point coach the entire coaching staff had gone out and they started they were obviously they had changed the defense you know and for that 93 season and they went out and they were recruiting different kids obviously um, but I think they also started to look maybe a little bit deeper and they wanted guys that, that, that just wanted to win, you know, like, uh, they, so they, I think they look deeper, you know, in, into their eyes, into their souls, um, you know, more so than just saying, Oh, this guy can, you know, run a four three or, or this guy's caught, you know, a uh, hundred balls, you know, in his high school senior year. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it was just, I, I think that, now that they had, the coaches knew what they had actually worked. Now I think they could they could kind of you know run with it, and, and now they can look start looking you know into the, the the tinier details, and I think that was important to them to to have kids that came that would come from winning uh, programs and uh, you know schools high schools, uh, whether it be New Jersey, Texas. California, you name it. Um, so I think when you kind of bring those sort of guys together who are just competitors and the worst thing in the world to them is losing, I just think ultimately it just kind of gets, you know, gets gets continued to the, the bar gets raised and raised and raised. And, and, you know, before you know it, it's like, Tuesdays and Wednesdays are becoming more more violent and more physical than than Saturdays. Um you know you, you're getting to a point where they're having to tell people, you know, the the us kids to to slow it down because just competing with each other was, you know, it was like a war out there and I just think that it just kind of that attitude um it just kind of, it just ran throughout the entire team. And, you know, people talk all the time about like, uh, you know, the captains and the leaders on those teams. But the reality was there, there was, if you had had 150 guys on those teams, there were a hundred guys that could probably all have, have been captains. Um, You know, it was just, they went out and they that was something that they wanted in all of their players where it was, the ability to lead and it wasn't something that was just a natural you know a lot of people they talk about um you know especially when when i was doing media and stuff and i would talk about leadership and they say oh well, it, it's easy for you it just comes it, it came easy you know you you're natural or whatever and it's like no it, it's not it's it's just it's something that when you came into the program it was something that was was looked very highly upon you know by by your peers and, and by your the, the coaching staff um, and you paid attention to the guys that that were captains that your or were you know kind of the field generals and you watched them and you listened you know like you didn't talk back then you listened and i think now sometimes you know the kids come in and and you know freshmen they play such a big role, um, or they're expected to play where they want to play. And sometimes there's too much talking going on and not enough listening. And I think that was something that that we all did, um, you know, back then. It, there was a time where you got the opportunity to speak, but when you were young, you just kind of you, you did what was being asked you. You practiced. You went to school, um, but most of all, you kind of listened, and, and you just watched guys and how they went about their business. I mean, like, I was – I mean, I'd watch everything that Trev Alberts did. You know, to me, he was just like – even though he was in an outside linebacker slash defensive end, um, you know, he was a guy that – God, man, you just looked at him, and it's like, this guy knows what he's doing. This guy has got his his his, you know, what together. And – it's like I want to. I want to. Ho- hopefully, when I'm, you know, a senior, like people are looking at me that way. And you just you watch and you learn, and then you know it's just natural that there are guys within your own position group. So Kevin Raymakers was kind of the senior when I was a freshman, and and just watching, you know, the way that Kevin went about his business and then doing all that, and it was just, you know, it was just leadership was was kind of something that was expected of you the same way that you were, you know, expected to know your playbook. And I just think on that 94 team, it was... I'm trying to think the who the captains... I know there was probably... Uh, Brendan was maybe a captain, right? Wiegert. Um, Terry Keneally, maybe, I think. And, uh, gosh, maybe Eddie Stewart. And, you know, those are guys that... They had, obviously, um, a a couple of them are are Nebraskans, so you kind of learn, you know, they they bring the whole, you know, we we grew up loving this team. Um, You know, you really know what the school and the football program means to to somebody when you see it through the eyes of a Nebraskan, and it really makes you appreciate, you know, the, the entire thing and, and uh, but the work ethic and, and what have you. And, and you know, the, speaking of, you know, the offensive line and Brendan, you mentioned, I mean, that was kind of the first year, I think that the really like the pipeline came together and they kind of got tagged that, um, you know, there was a lot of things that were happening in in the program at that time that I mean are still around today and I think are still kind of the, the benchmark of of uh what people expect or what you know where they've kind of set the standard. I mean that ninety four offensive line, um that is the standard, you know. I mean when people talk about the pipeline that uh, you know, that's that's where my mind goes straight to. Um and they were almost a leader, um in their own right, you know, I mean, it was just kind of like, well, uh, what does the pipeline think, you know? And it was like Mm -hmm. five that kind of think is one. And, you know, it was something that was not just off the field, but obviously on the field. Um, And it was just like this close knit group of guys. And we did want to handle things, you know, kind of internally. We didn't want to burden coach Osborne with things that were, you know I, I don't know just dumb for uh, uh, you know one way of describing it you know uh, he shouldn't have to be burdened with um, stuff when when one of us doesn't go to class or something so i think that's also you know kind of when the unity council mm-hmm. had started to be formed as well and this way you know coaches can coach right i mean it'll let them worry about putting together a game plan to beat colorado not worrying about if, you know, freshman Jason Peters going to class or not. So, um, you know, it was just I I think everybody was kind of like maturing in a way uh, or um, evolving, I think, whether it be coaches, players. And I just think there had been a new standard kind of set when we came back from, from Florida State. And uh, it was just kind of – the way that it was, I really didn't know much else because I came in, you know, and that was the year that, that we went and we played Florida state. So I've only known, you know, kind of great football. I've never seen or never had to experience bad years. I mean, the worst year that I had was ultimately, you know, my, my junior year where we lost two games and, and that was, you know, it was like the the state was burning down. Um, so there was a standard that had been set um, and uh, it was, it was, you know, I'm fortunate. I, I know that I'm very, very fortunate that and I think if you ask any of those guys that we, that we came into the program when we did, but I mean, we, we, we know that we, we worked very hard um, to maintain and to elevate uh, the program, but we also are, are realized that we're very fortunate that we just kind of, you know, came in when we did.
2: Sneak peek of what can you hear tomorrow on our Husker Sports Network Greatest Games, 1994 edition, former Husker legend, black shirt Jason Peter with us. It is a good conversation we had with him. Thankful for his time that he gave us uh, here on the show. And, uh, of course, looking forward to the rest of that conversation tomorrow, 1 o'clock airtime for our greatest games, Nebraska and West Virginia, pregame at 1 o'clock, game shortly to follow. Millard West against Millard South tonight. Who you got? I think I'll go Wildcats in
0: that one. Okay, not homer in that pick, are you? Oh yeah, wouldn't do it any other way.
2: <laughs> is that the bigger rivalry for West or is North the biggest one? Mm, got to be North. I mean, South South's had some good teams over the years, but nowhere near as consistent as uh, as competitive of a rivalry as Millard West Millard North. And yeah, Tim Tim's the Millard North guy, so. Triple option wins every day, Maybe except not when. all the days, but most days. <laughs> <gonna> say, except <laughs> last time.
0: <laughs> well, West and South playing tonight. Which baseballers did
2: we have from South? Was Kubota South? No, no, he was great. Kubota was a prep. Um, Jeff Chestnut, Blake Headley, Blake no. Headley, Dylan Vote. Those were all Millard South Patriots. Casey Hotman. Oh, yeah,
0: solid. Okay. All right, big hour coming up. We are going to talk to Ian Rapoport, our NFL insider, here in a few minutes. First edition of Ian joining us on Fridays here on Sports It. He'll be with us throughout the National Football League season. The season got underway last night. TV rating's not very good, down 16% last night for the Chiefs-Texans compared to last year's Thursday night game. I'm trying to remember what last year's Thursday night game was. Was it the Chiefs-Patriots maybe last year? I want to say the Chiefs played at that one too,
2: but I yeah, uh, maybe not. Do you remember? Chiefs played Patriots on a Sunday last year. Okay, so it wasn't them. Um, I think I they remember.
0: did open with the Patriots a couple years ago on Thursday. Yeah, a couple it. years
2: ago they did. Wasn't last That year. was Kareem Hunt's rookie year, and he fumbled oh. on his first carry. That's right, yeah.
0: We'll have that coming up here in a few minutes, but right now we're going to jump into our picks segment. Normally on Friday nights, this time of year, it's Big Ten picks, but for obvious reasons, that that's not happening. So we're going to shift it over to the top 25. So... Get your pins, score this up, play along with us. Ben and Tim and I are going to give you the locks for the weekend. Let's start with the 11 a.m. games. The game coming out of game day will be the 23rd ranked Iowa State Cyclones against the Ragin' Cajuns of Louisiana. Do not, I repeat, do not call them Louisiana Lafayette. They are yeah. the University of Louisiana.
2: Is that correct? Yeah, they'll get mad at you for that. That's for sure. <laughs> so, so don't, don't do notes. that. Yeah, that's in, the,
0: in their notes. We've
2: had a few of those. Yeah. Um, what to call us? What to not? Nichols.
0: Yeah. Nichols the same. It seems like it's those Louisiana schools. All right. Cyclones favored by eleven and a half. Brock Purdy
2: back. A lot of
0: excitement for the Cyclone football team. Ben, how you see this one?
2: Um. Yeah. Uh, whatever you want to call those guys uh, going to going to Ames, it's not going to end well. I'm I'm choosing Iowa State. It's probably one of the closer games involving top twenty five teams this weekend. But yeah, I'm, I'm choosing I'm choosing the Cyclones.
1: Okay. Tim? Uh, yeah, give me a boat race uh, for our beloved Cyclones, uh, old Big 12 Ooh. foe. What's a uh, cover Grace. big, huh? Yeah, I, th- big. I think uh, at, by at least 20 points. I mean, I don't see Louisiana hanging in there, uh, unfortunately. Though I do remember, was Louisiana the team? Nebraska had those old uh, – that was a 300 sellout streak yes. game, right? Oh, yeah, those were some uh-huh. good duds. Nebraska had pulled up for that one. Um, those are those throwback 1962 unis yeah. they wore against them. And that is, that is the extent, to my knowledge, of the no longer uh, Raging Cajuns
0: Louisiana football team. Uh, Iowa State in a big one. They All win. Right. Only favored by 11.5, so Tim says load up on the Cyclones tomorrow. All right, also at 11, uh, Tim, we'll go to you on this one. This will be on the ACC Network's 18th ranked North Carolina, hosting Syracuse, so it's an ACC matchup. People love Vegas, loves the Heels. They're favored by 23. How do you see this one? Uh, I love the Heels as well. Um, I might love Mac Brown even more, despite his
1: association with a team that shall remain nameless. Yeah, quarterback Sam Howell. Uh, I don't know if I want to say boat race, but I'm, I'm leaning towards saying boat race. I don't think Syracuse – they might hang in for a half, but g- give me the Tar Heels. They'll they'll think they'll win this
0: one probably pretty comfortably. I don't know what's happened to Syracuse. They had such a good year two years ago, uh, had, had Clemson on the ropes in a game two years ago. Last year, though, they kind of fell back in the pack, and there's not much expected out of them this year. They just have not been able to get the momentum of the program going, even though they had – a magical year for them, anyway. Two seasons ago, I like the heels. I don't think they cover. I think the number's too big. I think twenty-three is too big. I think Syracuse covers, but the heels win.
2: Yeah, I feel like it is a pretty big number. I do like North Carolina's team, though. I think they've got a lot of athleticism uh, at the skill positions, which um, isn't something you could say for them for a while. But I, I like I like what they have. I like how Tim mentioned him at quarterback. I think he's. Uh, one of those dual threat guys. He can do both. They played really well at the end of last season. Give me the heels. I think the line is a is about right. If you're if you're telling me to pick against the spread, I'm I'm reluctantly taking Syracuse. But I think uh, I think the line's pretty close. I I, I kind of see 21 to 27 somewhere in there. All right. Those are the two 11 a.m. games
0: that involve ranked teams tomorrow. 130, On NBC, here come the Golden Domers, Notre Dame hosting Duke. They've spray-painted the ACC logo on the field in South Bend. That is just, blows your mind to see that. Irish, a big favorite of 20 points. I like Notre Dame. I don't think they cover. I think that's another number that's a little bit too big. I think the Irish win
2: this one about by 17 points. They do win. They don't cover. Ben? Yeah, it's hard to not... Pick Notre Dame here. Obviously, playing at home. Um, I think the way that last year ended, it was a really strange year. They had it the, by by most schools' standards. They had a good year last year, but um, the, the two chances that they the couple chances they had to really make national statements, they fell short. Uh, so I think the Irish have something to prove. I'll, I'll, I'll say the Irish cover. I'm a little more bullish on them than maybe you are. Uh, Well, how about this? How about this? Duke outright.
1: That's right. I'm picking David Cutcliffe. Uh, Well, here's my rationale. Uh, Ian Book probably has to tweak his ankle or something in the first quarter and go out, and then uh, the legend that is Chase Bryce, the Clemson transfer, is going to come in. He's going to throw for 500 yards. Um, It's all pretty likely, right? So give me the Blue Devils. In real reality, I kind of felt the need to change things up because I didn't want to just pick – the favorites
0: in every single matchup, but give me Duke outright because I am loving it. Good for you. Well done. All right, let's go to the night games. Oklahoma to host Missouri State so they get an FCS school coming in there. There isn't even a betting line and probably Ben doesn't need to be one.
2: Well, I was kind of hoping there was, but since there isn't one, maybe Tim will just choose the Bears outright. <laughs> um, no. I, uh, Sooners by a large margin. Spencer Rattler gets off to a, a good start in his, uh, in his collegiate career. Yeah, uh, I'm, a, I'm a
1: gambling man, but I'm not, I'm not that much of a gambler. Uh, this one's <laughs> going to be on pay-per-view, which I often associate with, with boxing. I think a lot of people do. Uh, this would be one of those things that's called in the first round via knockout. Uh, give me the Sooners. If Missouri State even hangs in for a quarter, I'd
0: be impressed. Uh, Boomer Sooner and all that. Then we have a buy-sell question about so many games over, over 50 points or something. I think we did this. Yeah, you're probably right. uh, three teams score 50 points. Yeah, well, this will be one of them. Oklahoma rolls in this one uh, to 1-0. Then the primetime game on ABC at 6.30 tomorrow night. The only ranked team to be on the road tomorrow. That's the top-ranked Clemson Tigers going to Wake Forest. Big favorite, though, Tim, as Wake is a 33-point home dog. How do you see this one? Yeah, I, I, I think that line's about right <laughs> for me. Uh, I don't
1: see this one being particularly close. And, yeah, I think Clemson will have no problem uh, with that point spread. I think they'll, 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 they'll be just fine there. So, yeah, give me Clemson in a big way. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. The Demon Deacons aren't going to hang around for, for much long. It's uh, the number one team
0: in the country. Sorry. Too many points for me. Opening game of the year on the road. That's too many.
2: Clemson wins, but they don't cover new quarterback for wake forest they lose both good receivers uh i mean even if they have those guys i'm not i'm not too thrilled about about what they have but you take those guys off the table and and i'm not too fired up about what they're bringing so uh and and the other thing too is i think it's clear where clemson's head is they really want to play trevor lawrence really really wants to play i think they're hungry so yeah clemson puts one on them tomorrow and i think they cover pretty easy Okay, well, at least we differ on how we see the betting lines going on this thing. All right,
0: last game involving a ranked team tomorrow. It's in Austin, Texas, 7 o'clock tomorrow night. It'll be on the Longhorn Network. Texas against the Miners of UTEP, who already have a game under their belt. They beat Stephen F. Austin last week, 24-14. So big advantage for UTEP that they've already played a game. It ain't going to matter. Texas wins. The line is 43. That's about right. I can see it about a... 52 to 10 type game right around that 42 number 43 number i like texas big
2: utep could have played 100 games um (laughs) you know and and got all the confidence in the world but they're gonna get stomped tomorrow they're gonna get run over by the horns (laughs) (laughs) thanks for playing Take your check and wish you the best. I-, yeah, I tried to beef it up as best I could. Yeah,
1: I don't know if Texas is back per se, but I don't think they're going to have much trouble with the Miners. That said, I'll just say Utah- UTEP uh, covers just for fun, but they'll still lose.
0: All right, I was looking through some of the other matchups that don't involve a ranked team to see if there's anything kind of juicy. Let me just throw this one off the board at you. And let's don't count this, Tim, in our standings, right. but this is just an off-the-board one. It's the two thirty game on ABC. It's an ACC game. Georgia Tech visiting Florida State. New coach for Florida State. We talked to Adam about this game the other night. Anybody have a, a feel? The uh, Seminoles are favored by 12-and-a-half, but they certainly have had their struggles the last couple of years in, in, uh, in uh, Tallahassee.
1: Hmm. That's a good one. You know what? I'm not going to count out the rambling wreck. I mean, I think yeah. I agree with that
2: line, but but give me Georgia Tech. Why not? I haven't done enough looking of Georgia Tech to know one way or the other kind of where they're at, but Florida State's, as you said, it's been kind of a mess. You know they're going to be Uber talented and have 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 some good parts. I'll say they win because they out athlete them, but I, I don't know how high I am on the null. So I'm going to I'm going to need to watch them and get yeah. get a fair assessment on on where they're at.
0: Yeah, that, that's fair. I'm drawing a total blank and I don't have my magazine within arm's reach. Who's the new coach at Georgia Tech? I don't know. Paul Johnson left, you know, the guy that ran the old wishbone veer option down there, but I don't know who Georgia Tech. I can't think who uh, Jeff hired. Collins, Jeff with a G. Or maybe it's a "Yeah, that's you, Jeff Collins, yeah." Yeah. I don't that's not ringing a bell. Western to me. Carolina. He was at temple. temple. He used to be a the temple. Old temple coach. Oh, so he took over from Matt from Rural, and Rural went to Baylor, so he wasn't at Temple very
1: long. Yeah, um, last year they were a disaster, though, 3-9, and 2-6 and six in conference, so, eh, wasn't yeah, good. That
0: was, that was Paul Johnson's – no, no. Yeah, that was now, last year. Last year. year
1: was Jeff Collins' first year at Georgia oh, Tech. Okay. Because he, he, le- he went to Temple 2017-2018, left at the, before the bowl game in 2018, but he won the Gasparilla Bowl, so he's got that under his belt.
0: Nice. Neil That's resume. a good one to win. Sure is. All right, there's your look at your top 25 in a bonus game we threw in there with Georgia Tech and Florida State.
2: Sports Nightly, Friday night, continuing along here on the Husker Sports Network, about halfway through our final show of the week. Thanks to everybody for spending part of your evening here with us. Last night, Kansas City... And Houston opened up the 2020 NFL season and back again with us for another season of chatting NFL football on Friday nights. Our good friend Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network and NFL.com. Ian, first of all, let's just start off with the football game last night. No more speculation. Is this thing going to happen? You covering rumors, chasing down stories. We had real football last night. How does that feel to, to sit back and watch a game last night?
4: Oh, uh, it, was, it was amazing. You know, I'm going to say, like, I have thought about not to get all sappy or whatever, but I have thought about watching my first game for a long time, you know, like the – especially when it got real bad in March and then April and, you know, there's no end in sight and you don't know if they're going to have a season and everyone's pessimistic. All I was thinking about is, like, man, when I see that first game, it's going to be great. And then, you know, yesterday, um, obviously there's, you know, not a lot of fans – some fans – but not a lot of fans, um, but it felt pretty normal. I mean, they did a good job making the sounds normal. It wasn't like a roar, um, but it was, you know, felt like I was watching a football game. And I, I got to say, the actual quality of the game was probably more than I thought it would be. I mean, if you were wondering, like, what effect having no preseason would be, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but it looks good, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly expected more penalties, more you know, more of that type of thing, and it was pretty clean game for the most part. Um, let's just let's just start in with what what's kind of led up to this point. We talked to you, I think it was around draft time, and there, there was still so much uncertainty about the season, what would happen. We were talking a lot about a virtual draft. I mean, there was so much uncertainty. How would you gauge the response of the franchises just about the new norm about testing, keeping players safe? I don't want to say there's a bubble, but there's certainly, you know, restrictions on what these guys are able to do away from the football field. How how has this process been leading up to this point? And of course no preseason plays into that as well, but just how we got here.
4: I would say it's fine. Like it's you know, it's the kind of thing where I mean I was hearing from coaches and general managers really in probably in early July or late June, like, there's no way, there's no way we can do this. No way we can do this. Cannot have a season everyone's crazy, we shouldn't play. And then the NFL pushed and pushed and the restrictions, they agreed to everything. And NFL and the union did an incredible job coming out with these safety protocols that I think are, you know, really beneficial to everyone. And um, once they got in the facilities, once everyone started doing everyday testing, it really calmed down a little bit. And they were like, you know what, maybe we can do this. And you know, kudos to the NFL and the PA for getting everyone to take it seriously. I mean, we haven't seen an outbreak yet. I'm sure there's going to be some. There's definitely going to be some. Um, but we have not seen an outbreak yet. And it seems the players have been responsible. Teams have been responsible. They're doing, you know, socially distant in the facilities. Everyone's wearing armbands that basically beeps if they get within six feet of someone. So, I mean, they've, they've done an incredible job just – surviving somehow over the last couple months
2: this can be a hard thing i mean it's hard for everybody every human being but you especially consider uh, the lifestyles for some of these younger men you know maybe not rookies but you know guys in their in their early 20s that are still trying to live their lives how have they fallen under the leadership umbrella of saying look guys i i know you want to go do your thing away from the field but if you want to play these are the rules you got to follow how important has the leadership aspect i mean i I can only speak for Kansas City, that's the team that I follow. The the leadership in that franchise is very strong. I have to imagine it's that case around every team. But when you have some younger guys that want to go live their lives but at the same time, you know, don't want to put anybody else at risk.
4: Well, you know, I think that that's gonna be one of the big things this year is that players have to police themselves. And, you know, nobody wants to be the one who's the super spreader. Nobody wants to be the one who Um, is responsible for your other players getting COVID-19, right? I mean, if you're the irresponsible one, everyone can point the finger at you. You went out to a casino, you went out to a club, you brought a companion in, and that person wasn't tested. I mean, all these things, first of all, are bad, second of all, are punishable. Like, you can be fined for not adhering to the COVID-19 regulations. Um, And, you know, one of the It's sort of like player safety in the NFL where it's not over-policing because it really does protect, you know, protect your teammates, protect your friends, protect your fellow players. Um, I think guys have, have done a great job of being real about it
2: talking with Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network here on Sports Nightly. I'm Ben McLaughlin. Well, let's talk football, man. What would you think of the Chiefs last night, defending their their, their crown? I had a, a lot of memories watching those two teams play from that game, uh, that crazy game in the playoffs last year. But w- let's just start first with Kansas City. What would you think? How would they look?
4: Um, I mean, they looked great, obviously. You know, I a couple of things stuck out to me. One, you know, Mahomes got rid of the ball so much quicker than I could remember. You know, you always wonder, like, you got Andy Reid, who's a great quarterback guru. You got the MVP. Like, what are they working on, right? And what they're working on is getting rid of the ball. I mean, he he was, to me, it looked like he was under two and a half seconds all the time for Mahomes just unloading. I thought that was good, and it, you know, basically prevented him from getting hit. That was a very good thing. The other thing was, you know, Kansas City was um, very physical up front. I thought Clyde Edwards-Alaire was – kind of like I thought he would be, but the fact that they blocked so well and Coletti Semoli, you know, was so productive, I mean, that's, you know, that was kind of an under-the-radar signing, but, man, they did a really nice job of bringing him in and getting, you know, being physical up front. um, I was really impressed by the Chiefs.
2: On the flip side, I think a lot of questions surrounding Bill O'Brien, really starting from that playoff game in Kansas City with a couple of decisions he made And it it just seemed like a downward spiral from there. I don't want to speak for Texan fans, but a lot of people frustrated by the trade. David Johnson did look really good last night for Houston, but there was a glaring hole at wide receiver. Kansas City ran press coverage all night without a care in the world, even with a rookie out there uh, at one of the corner spots with, with no DeAndre Hopkins out there. What, what, what are, should Texan fans be feeling right now about the team that has been assembled in Houston and their ability to compete when you have one of the most elite quarterbacks in the league?
4: Yeah, I mean, I definitely understand what you're saying, and I know that Bill O'Brien has gotten a lot of flack. Um, He tried to trade DeAndre Hopkins for a while, and that was the best he got. I mean, he got a starting running back and really productive player, yes, for a big salary. um, But remember, the Texans were never going to pay DeAndre Hopkins. It was never going to happen. He was never going to get paid with three years to go in his contract, not at the top of the market like he wanted. So um, the only option really was to trade him. And, you know, because part of the trade is the salary. I mean, it's $27 million to DeAndre Hopkins this year, or actually $29 million this year. If the Texans do that, they don't get, you know, Deshaun Watson under contract. So it's all kind of, you know, related to each other. And, you know, I mean, the Texans were in the playoffs last year. They were deep in the playoffs. I know it didn't go as well as they wanted, but um, Texans fans should probably be careful. They've won the division four out of the last five years. Um, that's you know big big picture. That's pretty good.
2: Yeah, I think it's a really good point and well taken. Um, well, we're getting ready to to kick off another year, and I and I and I love picking your brain before this thing all starts. Who's a team that you're really curious to watch? That maybe not make a Super Bowl or. Uh, you know, have a head coach fired by week three or whatever. You know, I think last year we were all intrigued by the Cleveland Browns. Who, who for, for what they did in the draft, what they brought in free agency, maybe a okay. second-year player like Kyler Murray, who who has your eye right now somebody that you, you're just interested to see how they look on the field?
4: Yeah, I would say two teams. Um, one would be the Colts. You know, they brought in Phillip Rivers, and – you know, he had a rough year last year. A lot of interceptions. One of his worst years of his career. But physically, he's okay. So I'm really curious. Like, what are the Colts going to look like? I mean, this is the best offensive line Rivers has ever played with. And the other one is the Arizona Cardinals. You know, I mean, they um, they they made some changes. They obviously brought in Hopkins. They got a bright young quarterback. You got a coach who's kind of hitting his the stride. They looked good at the end of the year last year. Um, I would say they're going to be a fascinating team to watch.
2: All right, one more team before we let you go here, Ian. Baltimore, that's the team I'm most scared of in the AFC, another team that looked really, really good in the playoffs. They ran into a tough Tennessee team. Lamar Jackson is as much hype as Patrick Mahomes, which is saying a lot. What's a reasonable expectation for Baltimore this year? I know we're all obviously going to start with the offense with Lamar, but to caveat off that, what's their defense looking like?
4: Yeah, I mean – they're gonna be really good. Um, they got a running back early who's baller. Um, you know, I would say um, you know, Dobbins is gonna be really good. Lamar has been excellent. You know, Baltimore should should have the highest, you know, as high a ceiling as anyone. I mean, I thought they were I thought they're they're looking really good. Defense is gonna be is gonna be good. Um, just like they were last year. I mean, I don't know any faults, I don't know any weaknesses. They should be there at the end. It's really just a matter of Um, You know, really just a matter of can they put it all together and get to the Super Bowl?
2: Can't wait, man. So glad it's finally here. Week one in the NFL. Full slate of games coming your way this Sunday. Look forward to talking with Ian Rappaport each and every Friday. Ian, thanks so much. Great hearing your voice again, man. Enjoy some games this weekend. Look forward to talking
4: to you next week. Absolutely. Look forward to it, man. Take care.
0: It's time for the weekend preview. The part of the show where we tell you everything you have to watch this weekend.
1: Come in, watch. It'll be a good one.
0: Sometimes we give you good advice. I could watch that all day. But we're not perfect. There were times I'm like, this is so dumb. Why am I watching this? It's the Weekend Preview with Ben McLaughlin.
2: Let's do it, shall we? Man, full slate of sports. I just love the fact that there's stuff for us to watch this weekend. Whatever sport you like, tune it in because there's a lot on the docket here this weekend in the wide world of sports. Starting first with, yes, college football. We've already talked a lot about the matchups this weekend of what you can watch uh, or at least who is playing. Well, let's get you uh, some some times and places to watch those games, shall we? Starting first at 11 a.m. on the ACC network, that's where you can find Syracuse and North Carolina. You heard the boys give the picks earlier this hour, earlier in the show, I should say. Uh, unanimous across the board, North Carolina. Greg thinks Syracuse maybe covers the 23 point spread. No, it, isn't this the one that Tim picked the upset? Nope, that's Duke. No, okay, all right. That's uh, yeah. He and Aust- he and Austin uh, Orman are going to be Duke fans. Uh, well, the that's, iron this that's, weekend.
0: that's Austin's yes. second home is Durham, North Carolina, the
1: Duke Bluto.
2: Tobacco Road, baby. Yeah. I don't have you the know.
0: Duke shorts yet, but they're, they're on their way. I just
1: ordered
2: okay. them. Okay. Well, something to keep an eye on this weekend, I suppose, for you. Uh, just be ready for that, Tim. Also at 11 on ESPN in Ames, Iowa, Jack Trice Stadium, 23rd-ranked Iowa State hosting the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. Iowa State, line has bumped up a little bit, almost up to 12 now. Iowa State, uh, heavy lean on this show. We think the Cyclone's going to take care of business there. One thirty on NBC. Here's the upset special, the Duke Blue Devils and the 10th-ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I would say book it, but that would be uh, leaning towards the uh, the other guys, the bad guys for Tim, the Fighting Irish. Tim, confidence level that this is going to happen?
1: Uh, not high. But it's—I've already laid my cards on the table, so I'm sticking to them. Okay,
2: on with Teddy move. Greenstein. Teddy Greenstein will be on site for that one. He's got a special VIP pass that gets him to about any sporting event in the country, so he'll whip that baby out. One thirty, NBC, <laughs> Notre Dame Stadium in South Bend, Indiana. At Six o'clock, Missouri State and Oklahoma in Norman. No line on this one, and at. on ABC, Clemson-Wake Forest matchup of ACC teams. Get excited there. Um, On the road for Clemson, but big favorites, almost five touchdown favorites in this one for Dabo Sweeney's Tigers. You have the UTEP Miners and the 14th-ranked Texas Longhorns at 7 o'clock on the Longhorn Network. UTEP's played a game. They've won a game already. So, yeah, watch out for those guys. They could come in with a vengeance and just, you know, say Texas is back all they want and just, uh, you know, take take that away from them. Big advantage playing a game already. Yeah, totally. Texas better watch out. All right, let's go to the the matchups of non-ranked teams starting at 11. Charlotte and App State, ESPN2 and Boone, North Carolina. Mountaineers, 17-point favorites in this one. Also at 11, in Morgantown, West Virginia, you have the Mountaineers. Mountaineers playing a doubleheader tomorrow, Greg. They got the Cornhuskers and East Rutherford, <laughs> and then they have Eastern Kentucky at eleven. I, well, mm. I, I like their chances in one of those games.
0: Oh, yeah, and that's we should remind people one o'clock on the network tomorrow. We start our replay of the ninety-four seasons. So we'll have that Husker matchup uh, with West Virginia there, and East Eastern Kentucky played last week, right? And they get drilled yes, they were by at 0-1. Marshall. They got Marshall killed
2: them. And now they get to go take the Marshall Marshall's rival, West Virginia. Woo, at good. 11 in Morgantown. And Morgantown also at 11 on Fox, Arkansas State and Kansas State. The Red Wolves have played a game. Wildcats two touchdown yeah. favorites at Bill Snyder Family Stadium in Manhattan. So get get your first look at the Big 12's Kansas State Wildcats.
0: Ben, that game
2: got affected because of the Baylor
0: cancellation. K-State Arkansas State was supposed to play at two thirty, I think on FS1, and then the Baylor game got canceled, and Fox needed a needed a game at eleven, and so they got moved on Tuesday. They got their game time moved to eleven, and they're going on Big Fox. So, it up. if you're K State, you're
2: like, wow, okay, better better coverage, bigger coverage. We'll take, take it. it. Yeah, no doubt. So K State, the home team, and that one at twelve thirty. You have Louisiana Monroe, the Warhawks, on the road. At West Point, taking on the Army Black Knights, CBS Sports Network, where you can find that one again, 1230. Talked about this matchup already, 230 on ABC, Georgia Tech, Florida State. This might be uh, your best matchup, I would say, Mm -hmm. throughout the day. Uh, Two ACC teams between the Yellow Jackets and the Seminoles. All of us, Florida State, lean there with that one. Batch up. In the state of Texas at 2.30 on ESPN2, UTSA, Texas-San Antonio on the road, taking on the Bobcats of Texas State and San Marcos, Texas at Bobcat Stadium, 2.30 ESPN2. On ESPNU, the Campbell Fighting Camels will be in action on the road against the triple option team in Georgia Southern, 2.30 ESPNU. Camels got to be up there for uh, best nickname in sports, right? Yeah. Yeah, them and the – we had them two weeks ago, the Austin Peak Governors. Those are some good ones. Speaking of the Governors, they will play at 3 o'clock ah. against the Pitt Panthers at Heinz Field on the ACC Network at 3. At 6 o'clock ESPNU, the Citadel will be on the road taking on South Florida down in Miami. At 6.30, you've got Tulane and South Alabama ESPN2, where you can find that one. Not a bad matchup here. Western Kentucky at Louisville at 7 o'clock. That one on the ACC network. So triple header there Um, if you've got the ACC network. I don't get that. Do you get it? No.
0: I don't don't think we get it in the office either. I don't think that's one of the ones on our package
2: in the office. I don't think so. And if you want to stay up till 9 o'clock, you can uh, watch – the Kansas Jayhawks mm-hmm. and the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers go to war at 9 p.m. on Fox Sports 1.
0: Woo, that's going to be an after-midnight finish in Lawrence, and I don't think they're having any spectators.
2: Oh, that's going to be eerie.
0: Empty no stadium doubt. playing at midnight, 12-15.
2: No doubt. So there's your college football slate. Not a bad slate at all this weekend to get us underway. Let's go to the NFL next starting Sunday at noon Seahawks Falcons in Atlanta Mercedes-Benz Stadium Seahawks three nearly a three-point favorite in this one Russell Wilson against Matt Ryan two of the better quarterbacks in the league going toe-to-toe at noon it's a pretty good matchup isn't it that's one of the ones you you identified last hour is one that's got your attention get our first look at Todd Gurley in Atlanta Falcon uniform AFC East matchup at noon. Also on CBS, Jets-Bills. How will Buffalo respond after a playoff berth a year ago with Josh Allen bringing Stephon Diggs over to Buffalo? So get your first look at the Bills at noon. Also at noon, Bears-Lions, NFC North rivalry. Piggy that back up with another NFC North rivalry with the Packers and the Vikings. Lions a three-point favorite over the Bears. Vikings nearly a field goal favorite. Over the Packers. Good Lions those? favorite Lions favorite over the Bears, huh? A lot of people are liking the Lions a little hmm. bit this year.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: Got to show me. I need to see that. Yeah. Packers, Vikings, who you like?
0: Home team of the Vikes, right? Yep. Give me the home team.
2: All right. Are they allowing fans a U.S. Bank? Don't think so, no. Okay. All right, so yeah, Vikings Packers noon. Also at noon in the AFC East, Dolphins Patriots. That's a CBS matchup. Patriots still nearly a touchdown favorite against Miami. We'll get Cam Newton's first crack at being the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots under Bill Belichick. And Tua, the top draft pick of the Dolphins, did
0: not win the job. Right? It's it's, it's is it Fitzpatrick? Fitzpatrick.
2: Yeah. Yep. From what from all accounts, it is Ryan Fitzpatrick at least for now. Halfway through the year, that's probably going change at some point in time Uh, another in division matchup here between the Eagles and the Washington football team that's weird (laughs) noon on Fox where you can yes it is no man can't even imagine having to deal with that (laughs) for a year Raiders Panthers at noon CBS Colts Jags another division clash there India big favorite in that one CBS Browns Ravens NF or AFC North rather how do the the Baltimore Ravens look after a, a, a playoff uh, appearance last year, really disappointing end to their season, losing to the Titans. But speaking of disappointing, the Cleveland Browns, are they going to be any better this year? No, they will not be. Okay. And I, you know I'm pretty
0: bullish on the Ravens. I think
2: they are really good. I do as well. I think – I think the Ravens are the toughest team for Kansas City to beat in the AFC. Yep. But yep, we'll kind of see how that goes. Chargers and Bengals, Zach Taylor year two. That's the first of the hmm. afternoon games at three o five. Home game at Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati. CBS where you can find that one. Good one Come at three twenty five. Yeah, Zach get it needs going. to get one there. Yeah. Yep. Bucks and Saints. That will be a fun one. Oh Mercedes Benz Stadium. TB twelve will go on the road to the Big Easy to take on Drew Brees. And all Three those Huskers. Hus- I know it. We'll see if uh Khalil gets any snaps this weekend. Could be could be something to watch. I'll bet you Nicole Levante has a tackle in that game. Maybe. He might find his way on the field. And Domekin might find his way on the field as well. Yeah. We'll just kinda have yep. to see how that goes. Uh Niners at home against the Cardinals. We'll see. The air quality probably not great right mm-hmm. now in San Francisco with the with the wildfires taking place in Northern California. But hoping that these last two games are played, and the, the last one being the Cowboys and the Rams. That's the NBC game at 720, so Carrie Underwood will grace us with her presence at about 718 Central Time on NBC. I need some Sunday night football. That one's got to happen. I need it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed big time, so let's hope that happens. All right, first full slate, what do you think? What do you Are you feeling Pretty good about good. your fantasy team? Pretty good matchups. I did okay last night.
0: I did fine. I mean, Mahomes was good. Uh, Edward Zolaire was really good, and my kicker, Butker, I think got me 10 points, so off to a good yeah. start. The computer says I'm not going to win, so we'll see. I <laughs> Josh's team is yeah. favored, but we'll see. I don't think the computer knows much,
2: kind of just randomized at
0: that point. Had right, to make some jump. lineup changes. I had some wide receivers that are hurt. and Went down already, did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Let's put on that manager hat now. Put on that manager nobody's
0: captain. touching. The word is nobody's touching Tim's team. That it's just so
2: dominant. Yeah. We'll find. We'll find out. Tim, did you have anybody playing last? Yeah, night? Deshaun Watson. I was kind of sweating gotta, after that. So You first got some tap. garbage time points, huh? Well, there
1: we go. In fact, he actually finished with more points than your own Patrick Mahomes. So I'll take that. Okay, take that.
0: Here. I'll take the win, but yeah,
1: that's fine. I'll take the win too. <laughs>
2: okay so there we go fantasy teams in action we'll have our podcast up uh on sunday at 11 where you can find our our podcast if you're a husker sports podcast listener you know where to find it uh find us breaking down pretending to be experts on the shield the nfl let's go to the hardwood next playoffs in the nba rockets lakers game five lakers lead at three games to one espn where you can find that one all but over what time what time's that one tomorrow seven o'clock
0: yeah, uh, the Rockets, the house, the, one, the house kid got kicked out of the bubble, right? He violated yeah. something, so he's been sent home. Uh, the Rockets not hanging on in Game 3. They had a lead start in the fourth quarter. The series was tied at a game apiece, and the Lakers had a great fourth quarter, won that game. The Rockets then just got flattened last night. I, I think they're out of juice. I do. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that, unfortunately.
2: Clippers Nuggets. Oh, How about that it's still going. There's like ten seconds left, but the Nuggets are up five. Nuggets are going to hang on. I believe they're going to hang on. So we'll just go ahead and assume that there's going to be a noon tip for a game six, six between the Clips and the Nugs Sunday, right? Sunday noon. Okay.
0: Okay. That's who who probably, you like tonight? Who do you are you going Celtics tonight? By a slight. Lean I'm going in C's. Game Seven. Yeah, I'm going okay. C's okay. tonight. Okay.
2: Not feeling great about it. But, Me too. You know, we'll I see. am.
0: I think they're the better team.
2: Okay. So, yeah, the NBA action happening this weekend as the – So will they force closer.
0: will they force the winner of that then to come back Sunday? Is there a game one for the Western Conference final uh, or not? It's not
2: listed yet. It's not listed yet. So potentially, but based would, on would, the information that I'm giving, I, you would think if there's a I noon tip Sunday that there would be a – Yeah, maybe, maybe they'll play night. Nice. Because they don't know who the opponent they, – they don't know the opponent yeah. just yet, so – um, so yeah, there you have it. Uh, National Hockey League action. Let's go there next in the playoffs as the Western Conference Finals game four, Dallas leads two games to one over the Vegas Golden Knights. Seven o'clock NBC, where you can find that. Dallas is is uh, they're scoring. They're scoring in the playoffs. They're, they're they're putting pressure on Vegas, who you know many thought w- would come out of that um, conference with uh, with the chance at the cup. But down a game, and it's a big big game four uh, They're all tomorrow. playing
0: for second, aren't they?
2: Uh, that's what I think, but I mean, <laughs> I'm not the hockey expert well, here. Well, yeah, Tim, Tim
0: is. is. Tim's the one. Yeah. Who, who who wins that series? Who do you like in that Dallas-Vegas deal?
1: I mean, I, I would have told you Vegas beforehand, but in order to stick with my buy-sell narrative, the Stars have to score at least two goals in each game, and they scored three yesterday in OT. Uh, so... Uh I'm still giving them the Golden Knights. I'm not gonna count Vegas out. They they were the one seed he headed in. They look great. Uh Dallas has looked impressive the that the other night, but uh, no, Vegas is gonna win that one.
0: Confirmed from okay. a puckhead.
5: Okay. Don't And it has watch go- it.
0: it has
2: gone final. Nuggets win, so there will be a game six for them and and the clips. Boom time. All right. Game four, Eastern Conference Finals. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming out, Islanders. No, uh, two games to none. Tampa Bay leads 2 o'clock NBC Game 4. They're playing Game 3 as we speak. Early second, midway through second period, about the halfway point, Islanders and Lightning tied at one apiece. So, Game 4 will be Sunday at 2 on NBC. Game 4, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay leads that series. Two games to none. So, how do you like me now? They're 1-1 one, one right now, second period. Yes, yep. Love it. All right. So there's your uh, – there's your for, for you uh, fans of the puck out there, there's your Good. slate for the weekend. Major League Baseball happening this weekend. Some interesting series. MLB Network, for some reason, wants to pick up the Orioles and the Yankees. Those two teams played two today. Luke Voigt is having a monster year for the Bronx Bombers. He has two home runs and six RBIs tonight for the Pinstripes. And – Telling you what, boys, you guys are sleeping on New York. They're 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 close to getting Judge and Stanton back. Urshel is going to be back next week. They're getting all these guys off IL. I mean, Garrett Cole shoved today. They need. I like what I've seen out of Montgomery. Bullpen is just okay, but man, they're 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 getting all their guys back. I think they're going to be a team you need to watch out for.
0: Yeah, if they get healthy and can get kind of rounded back in shape, they could be a dangerous out in the playoffs. Speaking of the playoffs, and we, we touched on this with Lane the other night, they the Players Association and the owners can't agree on the playoffs. The owners really want to bubble these teams up so that nobody has, you know, an advantage. The players are, like, pushing back. They want to keep it. They're like, hey, we've been traveling all last two months. Why do we need to now just go to just a couple of sites to play the playoffs? That's going to be an interesting fight, I think, over the next yeah. week or so.
2: Imagine that fight between those two. You yeah. would ever guess that? Yep, in the AL West, A's, Rangers. They'll play two tomorrow. In the NL East, Braves and Nationals. MLB Network for that one. Um, Nats lead uh, in that series right now. I believe they're up four. They might have just tacked on a four, a three or four run lead as they go to the ninth. About to take care of business in that one. Marlins and Phillies who are playing two today. Mets, Blue Jays. Interesting matchup there. It is all Mets today. They're up, I think, a fourteen to one. Last check over Toronto, who is just getting pounded with their starting pitching. Rays Red Sox, good series in the uh, in the AL East. Tampa Bay still trying to hold on to that lead in the AL East, 28-16 record. They got a good outing tonight from uh, from Blake Snell. He good. Yep, yeah, he is. Uh, Cubs-Brewers, Brewers trying to inch their way back to five they They're three games under at 19 and 22. But the series... Of the weekend, rematch of the World Series, the Astros and the Dodgers. Big Fox has picked that up, 7 uh, 1st pitch tomorrow between L.A. and Houston and the AL Central, another good matchup between the Indians and the Twins. So keep your eyes out for, for those matchups as well. Cubs will take on, excuse me, the, the Reds will take on the Cardinals in St. Louis as well. So those are some of the new matchups in Major League Baseball. Some interesting series and some tight races right now around the league. Yeah, boy, the Dodgers just
0: look so good, don't they? They just look like the the most solid team in the league.
2: Yes, most complete team. Can they clear that through the playoffs? Who knows? We do not know. Yeah. All right, some tennis to finish it up. U.S. Open Women's Naomi Osaka, Victoria Azarenka. Three o'clock for the women's singles tomorrow, uh, where you can at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Got to be the four seed, the favorite, right?
0: Yes. The favorite, but late last night was fun. I was flipping back right when the Chiefs came in and watched the end of the serena victor Azarenka match in the semifinal. Serena kind of ran out of gas, and you kind of get the feeling, somebody even tweeted this, that you kind of feel like with each passing major, her career's quickly winding down. So Azarenka was pretty solid
2: in the semifinal win over Serena. Yep, hard to argue that. And the men's finals, uh, Alexander Zverev will play TBD at three o'clock on uh, on Sunday. So that's the men's finals of the U.S. Open. So the five seed and the four seed, Greg, mm-hmm. have found their way through into the finals. Yeah, interesting. Yep, there
0: we go. So tennis women tomorrow, men on Sunday, and then you know they're like in two weeks starting the French Open. Did you know that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're going into the Paris to play on the clay. Oh, how wacky is 2020? It's just all over the, all over the place. Got to love it, right? Oh, man. Good stuff. You'll be busy
2: watching all this. Yeah, man, there's everything. Everything this. this weekend. Whatever you like yeah. is on the, on the opportunity board. Love it. That'd be good. It's the Sports Nightly Week in Review. Tuesday
1: night brian Christofferson from 24 7 sports yeah i
6: was up in minnesota i was watching some some football i mean it, it just felt so weird um, you know and it, here's the thing it was going to be such a beautiful opener with when it was originally scheduled with purdue and you've got this sort of you know very important big 10 west clash right off the beginning in memorial Stadium. Um, at that time, you know, Rondale Moore would have been with Purdue and played in that game if things were normal under those circumstances, and it would have just been a, a great test. You would have had the whole Siakos storyline of him coming back as the D coordinator with Purdue, and um, it was it was just
4: it was hard to uh,
6: to not wake up that first you know the first Saturday in September to Nebraska, I think is. It's not far from Christmas. It, I mean, it, it's basically that in that same category. To people, you just wake up with that bounce in your step, and you can feel it. Like you know, living in Lincoln, you can walk into the grocery store. You can be you know in the dial of high B and just feel it around you. It's like there's an electricity of it's football season. And it's it's just hard when that's not there. And, and even though there were some games going on, it wasn't the same elite player used to on opening weekend. And it it just didn't it just didn't really work for me to be honest.
1: ESPN college football analyst Adam Rittenberg.
6: You can't align with the other conferences and be part
7: of a national playoff. Um, I think there would be a desire to at least align with you know a longtime partner in the Pac-12, you know, the, the, the league that you play the traditional host bowl against and a league that has been you know, somewhat in lockstep with the Big Ten uh, throughout this process. Now, now the, the leagues aren't you know, completely similar. You know, the, the Pac-12 is dealing with uh, you know, public health restrictions in California and Oregon that essentially have prevented those teams at the conferences in half the league uh, from from playing or from practicing, rather. So it's a little bit different situation. I don't think uh, you know, there are many in the Big Ten I've talked to that do not want to wait for the Pac-12. But if it becomes apparent that there's no way that the Big Ten can be part of the traditional playoff and the traditional structure this year, it may make sense to do that. Uh, you know, for competitive standpoint, and for a television standpoint, and from a postseason standpoint, uh, to be able to have you know some type of postseason against Pac-12 teams, at least that that would be a, a bit of an incentive for for everybody if they know that there's a bowl opportunity at the end.
1: From Wednesday night, former Husker Cameron Meredith.
7: You know, I think the Big Ten has to figure out what they're going to do at some point. Um, I mean, you have you know mostly every other major conference playing. Um, we're just one of the ones that are not. So um, I think for a town like Lincoln, I think it'll be fine. Um, You know, I think a lot of people still like to go out and support local business in Lincoln, especially that downtown area. Um, It's a a very good community like that. So I think they'll be okay. Um, Obviously it's gonna be a big adjustment. And, um, you know, people are going to feel weird not having football, you know, the the first few months of fall. But uh, I think, you know, again, they'll figure it out. I think football will
5: eventually come. Um, It's just a matter of, you know, when that is.
1: Major League Baseball insider Lane Grindle.
5: People were critical of baseball early on, and there was a couple of outbreaks with the Marlins and Phillies. There's been some positive tests here and there along the way. But MLB, I think they deserve so much credit, in my opinion for how they, they learned from the first two situations. They changed their protocols, their safety, their health protocols as a result of it, and they pushed forward. And I think that in order for sports to resume again, somebody had to go out there and do it. And I think baseball has proven uh, a pretty good path forward for the rest of sports. I know basketball did what they did, but they also did it in a bubble, which is great. I, I mean, I think that's, that's commendable, but for sports to really resume down the road as normal again, we're going to have to be able to play them outside of the bubble to get fans and everything else back in there. And, the, and the, the format that MLB has would allow you to open up the gates really at any point in time if you felt like it was safe enough to make that call. So um, I think what MLB has done has been really commendable, and I'm glad they've done it the way they have.
1: Thursday night. Teddy Greenstein for the Chicago Tribune.
5: They are certainly considered
8: uh, a good shot for for the playoffs to make the playoff. I don't think anybody's really picking them to win at all because you got to go through probably Clemson or the SEC, but uh, solid defense, you know, and, and Ian Book is your quarterback, one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the country, very, very accomplished. Last year, 34 touchdowns, six interceptions, I believe. Uh, highly motivated because last I checked, Who's being projected as a fifth to seventh round draft pick so you know he's going to want to go the joe burrow route and try to go from you know a third day guy to a, a first overall guy um joe's really cleared that route for a lot of guys i'm so i'm sure they're they're you know incredibly motivated so yeah their name should be solid it's it's a weird mentality for those guys man it's charlotte or bust that's where the the acc title game is and um they need to be in that game you know, they'll play Clemson at home on, on November 7th, and that game's important, but if they can get to a rematch, that's the one that's really important.
9: Husker historian Mike Babcock. You know, I think the players coming back use that as motivation, and I I, I, I seem to remember the, the Tom Osborne telling a story about riding the bus back to the team hotel after the game and telling talking to Baron Miles, I think. I think it was Baron Miles, who was really down, and he said that you know Baron, well, you know we can be back, you know we can we can come back and and try this again. And I, you know, I, I just think that that was you know logical. It's, it's easy to say in retrospect, you know, because wow, well, they got it done. But but I really do believe that there was that attitude that hey, we were that close, we can come back and and uh, and do it again and uh, they had a good core of uh, players coming back and you know I think that they felt like there there was that possibility and i think it motivated them um, to, to get there so um, yeah i think there was a i think there was a definite uh, correlation between the two Baylor play-by-play announcer John Morris. I think he's great. I think
10: it's a great hire, another great hire by our athletic director, Mack Rhodes. Uh, you know, he found Matt Rule when not many people knew about Matt Rule, and look what he did here at Baylor. Three years, and we ended up in the uh, Big 12 Championship game in the Sugar Bowl last year. Coach Rule, of course, went on to uh, the Carolina Panthers, and so uh, Mac went back to work and identified uh, Dave Aranda uh, from uh, LSU. Got him here. It's his first head coaching job, but man, he seems like uh, he seems like he's been a head coach, been in that chair for 20 years. He's uh, you know, by all accounts, everybody's been around him and seen his work. Uh, they say he's just a defensive genius. So it's really fun to have him here. And, you know, I, I was disappointed for him that we didn't get to open the season this past or this upcoming Saturday. So hopefully that'll come in a couple of weeks. And uh, Dave aranda era will start here at Baylor. What a
0: week, huh? Here on Sports Island, Great work by Josh in putting that together. We're back. Final few minutes of our Friday night edition of Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports time for this week's winners
2: and losers. Mr. McLaughlin. Yeah, my winner. I'm going to baseball here for my winner. I'm going to the Atlanta Braves. We're actually in extra innings right now, and my winner is about to bat. It is Adam Duvall of Good. the Atlanta Braves. He had three home runs and nine RBIs oh. earlier this week in a game Uh, in which the Braves scored 29 runs against the Miami Marlins. And not only that, but how about the fact that this is Adam Duvall's second three-home run game of the season? He has done it twice, two three-home run games already this year for Adam Duvall. So he's definitely my winner. My loser of the week, and I always look for a reason to make him my loser of the week, but he is a loser in the eyes of all of America with his comments on Dak Prescott, Mr. Skip Bayless, Um you know, obviously a big cowboy fan. Some some remarks about Dak Prescott, who went into severe depression after his brother had passed away, his younger brother, uh, saying he you know didn't want to go to workouts. His, he just had no motivation. He was depressed. And, and and Skip Bayless comes on the air and says, "I have no sympathy for him." Sign uh, of weakness. There's no there's no room for that when you're the head of an organization, the quarterback yeah. of, as he said, America's team. So. Pretty disgusting from uh, from that man. No doubt. Tim. Well, uh, I mentioned this
1: actually early in the show, but my uh, loser of the week is first half to Sean Watson. But my winner of the week, second half to Sean Watson, picking up just enough points to put up 20 on Austin Orman's rowboats in our SN Fantasy Football League. And uh, as I also mentioned, uh, the, the, the two total touchdowns you scored and the two hundred fifty three yards was enough fantasy points to actually surpass that of – Patrick Mahomes, so I'll take that any day of the week. So Deshaun Watson, uh, hopefully, has has put me one leg above uh, Mister Orman and his paltry excuse
2: of a fantasy team.
0: Ben Tim kind of performed in Austin, right there, didn't he? Kind of did the same thing for both. He Isn't did that kind yeah. of an Austin move, right that there. Is a,
2: that is an Austin move, but yeah. You know. So
0: Tim with an Austin move, hoping to beat Austin's
2: fantasy team while dragging Austin's fantasy team through the mud. Yeah. It's one-on-one one right. approach.
0: My my winner of the week. I'm like you Ben. I'm in baseball. I've got Bobby Dalback of the Boston Red Sox who we saw play collegiate baseball. He has had a 5-game home run streak. He's got t- he's played in 10 career big league games and has 6 home runs. And according to the Elias Sports Bureau, he's the first player in modern era with a 5-game home run streak within their first 10 big league games. Bobby Dalbec of the Boston Red Sox. What a start to his career. My loser of the week, Novak Djokovic who was just all set to win the U.S. Open, but he rocked a tennis ball that hit a lineswoman woman in the throat. He was disqualified from the U.S. Open and now we have a pretty unattractive men's final coming your way on Sunday. So Novak Djokovic, my loser of the week. Good show here tonight. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to everybody being a part of this one. Enjoy your weekend. We're back on Monday. We'll have our weekend rewind, and we'll hear from Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com with all the latest from college football. Have a great weekend. Good night.